I want to begin this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. I have a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, if you would read this, we're going to be in the New Testament, Ephesians and Acts, a little bit of Colossians, but right now primarily in the book of Ephesians. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel." And so this is speaking of the church. And the mystery that Paul is revealing is the mystery of the church. The church was not revealed to the Old Testament prophets. They did not understand it. They did not comprehend it. And so it was not until Paul and the apostles was this mystery of God revealed. It's something that God has always wanted. The Bible refers to it as a temple or a spiritual house that is built up. And it's alive. It's a living house. The Bible also describes it in the nature of a human body. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. It also describes the church as a new man. Because when the church came on the scene after the resurrection of Jesus, there was a new man now on the earth that had never been here before. And this man is invested with authority and power from God. And this is the church of Jesus. And the Bible says that as he is, so are we in this world. And so it's not you as an individual, but it is us together corporately as the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit wants to move through in the world to demonstrate the effectiveness and the power of Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 9, the mystery, this fellowship is supposed to do this. Make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is the purpose of the church, the purpose of its fellowship. It's God's eternal desire that we would be the demonstration of God's wisdom to principalities and powers. That's what God has always wanted. That's why you're saved. That's why you're brought into this thing called the church. Probably for the vast majority of people who go to church today, they're going to simply view themselves as a Christian and they attend church. And they don't understand the spiritual authority, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the relationship of fellowship in the body of Christ. Because we can come, we can go, we don't have to participate, we don't have to really get involved in people's lives. I don't want people involved in my business. And so we just you kind of go like we're watching a movie or we're doing a spectator sport. And that's what church has become for a lot of people, but that was never the church in the mind of God. It was always to be a corporate body, a man, a fellowship, like the, your human body is in fellowship with itself, circulating the blood through your body. The, the, the life of this body is the Holy Spirit that we are supposed to be allowing to move freely through his body without grieving him, quenching him, or resisting 
resisting him. And, and the only people that really can quench, resist, or grieve the Holy Spirit is Christians. It's not the world. They can't stop the Holy Spirit. But it's the believers that have hindered him in every generation through our critical spirit, our judgmentalism, our religion, our traditions have bound up the Holy Spirit so tremendously bad. It's tragic. Our world is the testimony of that. Because the church is supposed to be demonstrating the wisdom of God through its fellowship, not its fighting and its conflict, but through its fellowship. And as soon as we realize that and, and we can be a good servant and of the Holy Spirit, then he can move more effectively through our life. And so this is God's eternal desire. It's what he's wanted. It is through his church. And if you recall what we just read in Ephesians verses 3 through 6, it says that the Gentiles will be fellow heirs of this body. Let me throw this in. The Jews and the Gentiles were the epitome of racism. All right. The epitome of racism. The Jews despised the Gentiles. They were taught and believed that Gentiles were unclean. You couldn't even touch them lest you became defiled. The Gentiles were not allowed into the court of God. They were not allowed into fellowship with God. And even Gentiles that wanted to believe in Jehovah, there was a special room for them. If you will, the back of the bus for Gentiles. And only Jews can be, if you will, up front to use the analogy of racism. And so what Jesus Christ has done in the church or putting together a church, he's taken two groups, which is the epitome of racism. He has brought them together through his blood. So there's no schism. There's no racism. There's no better than somebody else. It's Jews and Gentiles together. And for that to exist, it demands a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And that's why there should be no racism in the body of Christ. It is an abomination of God to have prejudice or to have superior attitudes from one particular race to another. And God was doing that away with that with the Jews and the Gentiles by creating this body of Christ. That is absolutely beautiful. And it's to, it's to show the wisdom of God to principalities and powers. Move into the book of Acts where we see this happen in reality. All right. So this is historical documentation and testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. As it came out of the upper room in Pentecostal power. The, the, this, this, on, the, on the day of Pentecost, this new man, this alien, if you will, that is not of earth, but it is in the earth. But it's not of earth. It is a new creature in the earth. Walks out of the upper room. 120 of them. Full of the Holy Spirit. They turn the world upside down. You see this fellowship of the church. And it's power even in the beginning in Acts chapter 2. But I want you. I want to reference if you will verse 41. Because you see what was maintained in this body of people. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. There needs to be a restoration or a revival of gladness among Christians. Just too much depression. Churches are depressed. Walking on eggshells. You know, just just no fellowship. There needs to be a revival of gladness. Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness. And the reason there's not gladness is because everybody's critical of everybody. We're terrified of what somebody's going to think about us. 
But, but that's the religion, that, the religious that bring that attack. Christians don't do that. But the religious do. The Pharisees do that. They're always attacking the life of Christ. And so they gladly received his word and were baptized. And about the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So Peter preaches a three-minute message. 3,000 people get saved. And the church has just grown phenomenally in this. And they continued steadfastly. Nobody's twisting their arms. Hey, you know, you need to go to church. Or, hey, I missed you Sunday. Where were, where were you? Are you okay? No, it, it was none of that. The Holy Spirit had free ride in these people. They didn't know what was going on. They had no politics. They had no traditions. They had no prior religion of this. This is brand new. And the Holy Spirit's leading it. And they're steadfastly continuing. In the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And, and those, those are four pillars of the New Testament church that the Holy Spirit gave them the grace to continue in. And I believe he's doing the same thing today. He's given us that grace to continue in that. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold possessions, goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. So this is every day the, the body of Christ is functioning. And they're breaking bread from house to house. They ate the, their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They're happy people. They're saved. They're not dead anymore. They're not going to hell. They're going to heaven by the merit of somebody else. We're free from religion. We're free from the law. I mean, these people are really authentically happy. And it's attractive. I mean, it's really attractive. It says in verse 47, they're praising God, which is visible. You don't praise God in your heart. You do from your heart, but it affects your hands, your feet, your mouth, your whole disposition when you're praising God. They're praising God. They're having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So every day people are getting saved by this new man that's walking in the earth. Beautiful. And eventually politics begins to creep into the church. And we see that in the book of Acts as the apostles are dealing with this. In chapter 4, the church is under persecution. Peter and John were, were beat for their testimony of Jesus. They're released and they go to a prayer meeting. So the church is still continuing in prayer meetings. And when you're led of the Holy Spirit, trust me, you will be in a prayer meeting. He's, he's definitely going to do that with our life. And so they pray that God would give them the boldness to preach the gospel and that God would do wonders and miracles and signs by stretching out his hand. They knew this is the way to evangelism. That the Holy Spirit does miracles and wonders for the glory of Jesus. We preach the word of God. We preach the gospel. Because after, just before this, 5,000 men got saved because a particular man was healed by the power of God. And they weren't saved by the healing. They were saved because of the preaching of the word is how they got saved. And they're praying. And this, this tells us in verse 33, 
the Holy Spirit answered their power, their prayer. He came to them. And verse 33 of chapter 4 says, With great power, he gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. When the Holy Spirit moves, there will be power and grace. Power and grace. And when there's not power and grace, these two things working together, there will be criticism and judgmentalism, which will always resist the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do. This is, this is all of Paul, practically all of Paul's epistles when he's dealing with church problems is this, this, this disputing within the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 19, you see this church in demonstration and power. And so this is marvelous. Um, this is just the church being the church. God's never changed his mind. He's never desired for this to stop. It should be going on today. Uh, these wonders should be happening today. The principalities and powers of darkness that are running our streets and affecting our people and destroying our teenagers and our culture today should be affected with the power of the Holy Spirit. But instead, they hear professors and they hear preachers proclaiming things. But where is God? Where's the demonstration of God? And so in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, you see these wonders. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out from them. I mean, if this verse weren't in the Bible and we said, hey, y'all, tonight we're just going to ask you, bring a handkerchief tonight. We're going to pray over it. And you go into the hospital. Some of you would think we're nuts if it weren't in the Bible. But listen, the Holy Spirit uses common things and common people to do miraculous works. That's why it's a miracle. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to happen. And, and not only were diseases healed, evil spirits went out of people. Because of this, this is absolutely phenomenal what happens. And, and exorcists try to do things and the devil turns on them. And then in verse 20 it says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And, and so not, not only are these miracles taking place, but the word of God is prevailing as well. They never stopped preaching the word and just being infatuated with power. The, the two things always went together. And, and when there's a declension in, 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 the, in the demonstration of God, it's because we might give attention to one or the other of those things. We might give more attention to power rather than the preaching of God's word. Or we may give more attention to the preaching of God's word rather than the power of God. But the apostles never did that. In Acts 4, they're saying, we need you to give us boldness to preach the word and we need you to work with us doing miracles. And, and they understood that, that it is this fellowship that's going to show principalities and powers the reality of God. Our generation is desperate for that today. They're not desperate for another church. They're desperate for a move of the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus Christ. And so you see this relationship of the body of Christ and I, I say this to you because the church is not an individual. It's not you. The church is corporate. It's us. And you are one part of the many. And the many make the one, which is the church. That's 1 Corinthians 12. 
And it is the mystery of fellowship. It's the mystery of fellowship that confounds principalities and powers. And I want to talk about that fellowship for a little bit this morning with the time that I have left. And in order for us to understand the fellowship, I can't make you fellowship. Fellowship is something that I personally have to deal with myself about, not deal with you. If there's, if there's, if there's a problem with fellowship in the church, it's not your fault, it's my fault for me personally. It's not that I'm going to walk around with a chip on my shoulder because you didn't invite me to eat. It's my problem. It's not your problem. I'm not going to leave church offended because you didn't shake my hand. That's not your problem. That's my problem. And these emotions and attitudes do not need to go on in the church of Jesus Christ. This is for him. And therefore, if there's something going on in the church, I want to make sure I am not grieving the Holy Spirit. And so for, for me, I have to understand What is the supreme work of the Holy Spirit in my life? And the supreme work of the Holy Spirit in my life is to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. And so every situation he puts me in, even if it's a situation that offends me or hurts me or upsets me, he's doing that to make me more like Christ, not to bring an accusation against you or the church. And the majority of people that go to church today don't understand that. And that's why the church is, for the most part, ineffective. Because of that understanding that that people typically have of the church. And so if he's conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ, how do I gauge that? How do I gauge my maturity or conforming to the image of Jesus Christ so that I can be careful to be in good fellowship with the body of Christ? And a lot of people would probably say, well, I've been in the church for so long. Or I've been through hell and I'm still here. Or I have faced offenses and I've faced hurts and I've faced problems, but I'm still... Or I've memorized the Bible. Or I teach a Sunday school class. Or I've been a pastor for 20 years. Big, stinking deal. It matters nothing. Nothing. It does not matter. Pharisees could say all of that. And they weren't at all in the image of Christ. They had an appearance of godliness. And so we have to understand that the great, the great sign of maturity in Christ is love. That's the great sign of maturity. And to love like God loves. Which is supernatural. Nobody in this room can do it. Only God can do it. And so the maturity of a Christian is, is measured by their love. Not their seniority or their intelligence or their Bible memorization or their tithes and their offerings. You get love right, all of that will be right. And that's what he's growing us up into. So Colossians chapter 3. And I'm talking about the fellowship of this mystery. The the fellowship of it. And so Paul deals with this in Colossians chapter 3. And he says in verse 4. He says, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. In in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us how to mortify our members. It's by the Spirit. 
But these are the things that are to be mortified. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence. And covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Stop, please. Just for a moment, time out. Look at me. What you just read are the majors of most preaching today. But not what follows. This as well needs to be concentrated on. Because the wrath of God does come on the children of disobedience. And in our life in the past, we lived in them. But now, verse 8, this is what the church needs to be aware of. Now, put this off. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds and put off the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, this, put on this, and this needs to be major in the pulpits today and in our lives today and in our homes today. This is what you put on. Bowels of mercy. Have real compassion. Don't talk about it. But, but let your mercy affect your insides. Think about that. Think about that with people that are suffering in your church. Think about Donna. Think about Paul. And others that have... Gone through things and situations in their life. How's your mercy stir up in them inside of your own bowels? Kindness. Kindness. We can be very unkind and just say, well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, but it's not the way Jesus is. It's just not. And that destroys the work of the Holy Spirit in a church. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering, forbearing one another. That means put up with each other. Bear it, carry it, get over it. Well, I need to talk to them about it. If you can get over it, get over it. If you can't get over it, okay. Get the pole out of your own eye before you go deal with their splinter. But then go deal with it. But do it in the spirit of love. If any man has a quarrel, or, or, or it says forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I could open the altar up right now. Because how many of us have dealt with people who have offended us and handled it the way Jesus did? And we've, we're all guilty of not handling it his way. And above all these things put on charity. Love, agape love, which is the bond of perfectness. This is your maturity. You want to know when you're perfect as a Christian? And and that word means mature. When you have agape love, unconditional love. When you have unconditional love, 
That means you love those who hate you. You love those who use you. You love those who have it out for you. You love those who gossip about you. That's when you have agape love because that's what Jesus did. And he bore the suffering. He bore the offense in order to make peace and to reconcile. He did that for you and he did that for me. And when the body of Christ can exercise that kind of love, demonic powers and principalities will be leveled by the light of God in a community. By that kind of love. Because everything else will exist in that love. Everything will. I want to read this to you in Galatians chapter 5. And he says, well... Some of you might have already changed, but verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart to which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. So this is the peace of God's to rule in our heart. Not that people do what I want them to do. I don't do what I want to do. Any given day I upset myself. So I want the peace of God to rule my heart. And then he says in Galatians 5, and I want to, I want to say this to, to us today. In, in Galatians 5, verse 6, he says this. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, which basically means your works. But faith, which works by love. And I, I believe this. And, and I, I see this in the, in, in, among Christians. And when I travel and in churches, I see this. And I fight for this here. That I don't believe what is lacking in the church world today is faith. But what is lacking today in the church world is love. Which is the only thing that helps faith work. Faith works by love. It's, it's, you're not dealing with believers today... Who don't believe in the power of God and the ability of God. We do believe in the power of God and the ability of God. We believe God can heal everybody. We believe God can deliver everybody. Where is the limit? It's the love. It's the love in the body of Christ. The love of the spirit of God in us. And so love is maturity. This is the supreme goal of what the Holy Spirit is bringing you to and conforming you to and all of the challenges of your life and everything that goes wrong in a church and everything that goes wrong in your home and in your family and everything that just grates you. You know why he's allowing you to experience that? To show you how unlike Jesus you are. How unlike Jesus I am so that I will desire God's grace to work in my life that I'm more Christ-like. I want to be more Christ-like. And so in Romans, or or, or I'll just kind of read this to you. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that's just phileo. Just be devoted that way. The Bible says we're commanded to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other, forgive each other, sing to each other, submit to each other, be devoted to each other. That's what we're commanded to do. So the key to fellowship is love. How are you going to put Jews and Gentiles together without the love of God? How is that ever going to exist without the love of God? And the love of God is supernatural. It's something that comes to you. It's not something that you're going to work on and you're going to eventually master and say, now I love like God. You'll never do that. 
You're desperate for the life of Christ to be active inside of you. And that's how we love, like the love of God. So I'm going back to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm, just, I'm going to read a few things. And he says in verse 15, if there is a conflict in the body of Christ, if there's, if there's an area in the body that needs growth, it can be dealt with and it should be dealt with. But verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. So, so the speaking of the truth in love, not in malice, not with unprofitable communication, not in judgmentalism and criticism... But we're speaking the truth in love. For what purpose? Why am I going to speak this? What is my point in speaking this? To show you I'm, you're wrong and I'm right. My purpose, or my purpose in speaking this is to humble you and persuade you and lord it over you so that you have no response to me. No. If my motivation in, in coming to you about anything is not to help the body grow, I don't need to be the one doing it. I've got more problems. And I need God to work on those things. But I want to be able to minister to the body of Christ and speak the truth with the motivation that I want growth in the body of Christ. I want you to grow. I want to help the body of Christ. And I want him to grow up into him and all things, which is the head, even Christ. Because from the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. That means this, if I hurt the body, I'm hurting you, me. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. He said, if I make you sad, who's going to make me glad? He was aware of that. So you know what Paul said? You know what my ministry is? Your joy. I'm living for your joy because if you're happy, I'm happy. And, and that was the motivation of his life. That's 2 Corinthians 1 and 2. To a church that was tremendously off in a lot of things. And so as you go through this, you see in chapter 4 of Ephesians that the church is like the human body. And I'm, I'm going to reference James 4. And it says this, from where do wars and fightings come? From among you. Do they not come from your own lusts? You war and you strive and you have not. Where does the fighting come from? And we might immediately say them. But James says, no, you. If you don't fight, there is no fight. But wait a minute, I have to fight. If I don't fight, who's going to stand up for me? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to provide for my need? Who's going to meet my need? Who's going to do this? Who's going to... Do you not have a heavenly father who can deal with all of this? And it doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth and love and help each other and help it grow and help it be strong. But I'm dealing with the criticalness that can exist in the body of Christ. So James says that the wars, the fightings, the striving, the debate, it comes from, from you. It comes from me. So I can stop that. I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight with you. You know, I, you don't have to fight. You don't have to enter into that because you have a Holy Ghost who knows how to manage his house and his body. He knows how to do it. He knows how to discipline his children, Hebrews chapter 12. He knows how to do it, and he does do a great job of it. 
He just allows a lot of religious people in too. That are not his. And so they don't necessarily get his discipline. And they typically don't stay very long. But his people. His church. That he's disciplining. Is under that. So he tells us this. In chapter 4. Of Ephesians verse 29. Let no corrupt communication. That's worthless. It kind of goes back to the motive. If I say this. What's going to result from it? If, if I make this statement, what is it going to do? Is it profitable or is it worthless? Is it going to bring the peace of God? Is it going to help the body to grow? Or is it just going to express my disagreement? Let no worthless communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So I want the words that come out of my mouth to minister grace to you. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all mouth. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit, our mouths. Our attitudes, our dispositions. Be kind one to another. Be tender hearted. Forgive one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be followers of God as children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. And again, just like in Colossians, these other things, the fornication unclean, it needs to be put away. It needs to be put away. And so... There, there's, I, I got to bring this to a close and Carla, I apologize. I'm just going to close this way without that today. I, I just apologize, but we're going to have a moment of prayer. But I want to read this in second Corinthians six. And I, w- I want you to see, here's a man that I would consider as mature. It's the apostle Paul. And he says this in second Corinthians chapter six, verse 11. And this is fleshed out right here before our eyes. And he says in second Corinthians six, 11, Oh, you Corinthians. Our mouth is open to you. Our heart is enlarged. You're not straightened in us. You're straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak to you as my children. Be ye also enlarged. These guys in Corinth had unequally yoked themselves together with people who were speaking critical things about Paul They had an appearance of godliness, but they were tearing the church apart and they were speaking critical things about Paul to where the Corinthians that Paul had a tremendous effect with were now at the place of not even believing Paul was an apostle. He wasn't even legitimate. And Paul is telling them this. He said, your relationships with people that gossip and they have malice and they have destruction in their hearts. That's what's caused your heart to be bitter towards me. I did not cause you to be bitter towards me. And I want you to know, Paul's saying this, I want you to know that though your heart is bitter at me, my heart is not bitter at you. As a matter of fact, my heart has grown for you. And guys, that's the love of God. Because honestly, I know for my own self, if you're treating me badly and you're believing lies about me and you're harming me with your mouth and all of that, my heart's cramping against you. I mean, my assassination spirit's rising up in me. You know, my heart's not growing with love and affection for you. 
And, and yours doesn't do that either. This is the miracle. This wasn't the, this wasn't the nobility of Paul. This was the grace of God in Paul's life. And I love what he says to the Corinthians because he doesn't leave this. You, you read through the book and he comes back to it. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says this in verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The more I love you, the less you love me. So what's that going to do to me? I'm going to love you more. If there was ever a demonstration of Jesus Christ in a human being, it's right there. That's the greatest sermon Paul ever preached. The demonstration of Jesus Christ right there to love. How blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's this... uh, Beautiful truth about the cross of Jesus Christ that gives us this ability to live this life. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, I pray this that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And and I I just, I pray that your, your love will abound in all knowledge and judgment. And to me, Paul is saying this, it's great that you have discernment. It's great. It's wonderful. We need discernment. There's many evils out there. There's a lot of wickedness out there. It's great. It's great that you have discernment of character. That's wonderful. But my prayer is this, that your love will grow in the measure of your discernment. Because if you're all about discernment and you don't have mature love, you will be destructive among God's people. So will I. And so what does Paul pray? I pray that your agape grows with your discernment. So the more that you discern things and the more you discern things about people, the more your heart, your bowels will be moved with mercy. That you'll be Christ-like. And beloved, this is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is, this is, this is the demonstration of it that I want to love you with a sacrificial love. And primarily, I want to love the church with a sacrificial love. That whatever happens to me, I want my, my, my foremost desire to be, will it help you? Or how can this help you? That would be my primary desire How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? That would be my primary desire. It's not always that way, and I need the Holy Spirit to help me. But that would be my desire. And I believe that when the church of Jesus Christ can be that mature love, then watch out hell and what you're trying to do. If it's not too late for America, and I don't believe it is, But another church on another street corner or another superstar preacher that rises up to the day is not the answer. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is that body demonstrating that risen Christ through the greatest measure that it can, love. Not compromising anything because love doesn't. But it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and never fails. Take a moment and just pray with me.
I appreciate you being with me this morning, listening to this and putting up with a lot of my long-windedness. I desire so much for this hour for Jesus to be glorified, to be honored, to be exalted. Would you just confess that in your own heart, just where you are, where you're sitting? Maybe there's some things that the Holy Spirit has touched. Don't, Don't make it right. Don't make it right. Let him, let him do his work in you. If there's something wrong, let him touch it. Agree with him. He's not going to break you and, and pour his wrath on you. He's going to give you mercy. and He's going to give you grace. And he's going to help you. Confess. Agree with God. And do, don't you love the church? Don't you love Jesus and this body that he has not only created, but he's extended to you the incredible invitation to be a part of it. To be a part of his spirit, to be authorized, endued with power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That men might be saved. People would be helped. And the greatest thing of all, the greatest thing you will ever experience in your life is God supernaturally loving somebody through you. Beloved, you will never have an experience that surpasses that. Not on earth. God supernaturally loving through you. And Lord, I I just pray for your church in this hour. Your church in this world. You're not done here. There's a lot that you want to see accomplished. And Father, I pray that you empower us with your Holy Spirit. Give us tender hearts and kind hearts and let us be quick to forgive. Let us be a help to the body of Christ. Let us be a part of what you're wanting to do in the earth. That it may be great for you. That you might be famous in the earth. Your glory in the earth in our day. I thank you for these precious people who've come this morning. I just ask your richest blessings upon their life. And I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to mature us and sanctify us. To make us holy. To make us godly. Not in the form, but in the power. And to make us apostles of love. In Jesus' name.